Terry Flanagan, you were out with our old friend Rob Gondola recently. Yeah, you're talking about County Wicklow. I was down in County Wicklow, the garden county of Ireland. I was down to see Robert Gondola. Uh, Robert is the senior science officer with the Herpetological Society of Ireland, where he conducts research on the ecology and conservation of reptiles and amphibians in Ireland. And apart from that, he's also become involved in the Living Classrooms project that has recently been set up. This is where he will visit schools and help create ponds in school gardens to encourage outdoor learning and an appreciation of the wildlife around us. So we went to one of his ponds in Lara in County Wicklow. Okay, Terry, come over here and just mind where you're walking. This is one of your, your ponds here. It is, yeah, and as you can tell, it's not your conventional pond. Uh, it's quite muddy around the edges. It certainly is. We're sinking into to it here. Yeah, so this pond has actually been designed to take the overflow from excess rain. So that's where you can hear the flowing water, like the still water coming down off the hills here. And this design, this pond has been designed actually to capture it and hold on to it. So it behaves like a pond, but it's also slowly releasing water back in to the surface water system, which is essentially the river on the opposite side of the road here. Now, where we are, we're in County Wicklow. We're quite high up. I presume this soil here is quite acidic. Yeah, it is. And a lot of the water would be acidic because it's coming down off the buggy, the heatland mm-hmm. up, up the top. There is clay here, which would be basic or neutral but it's it's generally the water is acidic because it's running through very acidic soils further up so it, it j- tends to make the whole habitat behave in an acidic manner now when you have an acidic pond like this surely that dictates the species of plants and animals that would be in it yeah absolutely so particularly with plant life and um, you get a lot of generalist plants obviously will grow anywhere but you will get a lot of things here that specialise in, in being able to grow in, in pH of water that can be as low as like 4 Is that know? what this would be here? Yeah so the last time it was um, the, the stream that, that feeds in here when it overflows was kick sampled the guys who did the macro invertebrates uh, sampling um, also took a pH and they said it was at 4 mm. now that would be less when there's been a lot of rain because it flushes through the system very quickly Yeah, and um, it would be closer to neutral but yeah it can get down as low as 4 well, as I'm standing here, I'm uh, sinking, sinking right into it here <laughs> at the edge. Yeah. Tell us what animals we'd find here now. Okay, so like you get the big ones, you know, that you would think about when you get the pond. So in springtime here, you get a lot of common frogs. They breed right. in, in the in the deeper bits where the water is going to be permanent, but it's still quite shallow. Um, so along the edges, frogs. A lot of here. frogs. A lot of frogs spawn here. I think the last time we counted last year, we had over a hundred clumps just in one given section. And I think. Between this and, and like the sister wet area slightly further down, there was probably likely a thousand frogs breeding. Now that doesn't include the immature animals that are still in the environment that don't come back to well, spawn. Well that so. that's great because frogs are doing so poorly in other parts of the country as you know better than anyone. Yeah absolutely and because again we're next to a river and we're next to a busy road, mm. road fatality can actually be quite high. Mm-hmm. You know, So like we've estimated that it's, it's it could be potentially as 5% of the breeding adults moving across the roads every year. Really? Yeah. yeah now when we look across it here it's it's very, very still. I notice it's covered by lots and lots of leaves. When these leaves fall into the pond, do they cause any damage or do they change the pH? Or Yeah, they can do. So depending on the type of tree and the type of leaves, like they, they can actually acidify it. So a lot of the pines, the needles, would can acidify the water. And if there's not water circulation or if the plant uh, life isn't already colonized and, and doing its job you can end up with a, a situation called black water where the water becomes extra it's generally in very heavily shaded ponds so it's shaded it's full of pine needles the water has a black kind of smelly aroma to it when you're in 
like pond dipping like we do for when we're sampling and I own, you end up with very very low biodiversity looking around the pond it's very very healthy it's very very clean I'm looking at the lichens on the trees there are absolutely tons and tons of lichens well that will just tell you how wet it is here yeah. you know so the environment itself and also itself, how unpolluted it is yeah for sure and so like again because of the nature of the environment we're in the water's coming downhill it's been filtered by the grass so the importance of having the hill not being eroded to within an inch of its life. So mm. there's not a lot of soil that gets washed down here. Any soil that's picked up is generally filtered out by the grass before it even makes it in to this swampy margin we're standing in before it gets anywhere near mm. the deeper parts of, of the water. So there's very little chance that you get agricultural runoff or anything coming in here because it tends to be filtered out beforehand. So we've, we've never had an algal bloom in this mm. pond since it's gone in. You know? This particular pond here, now it's quite shallow. Will that dry out in summertime? Most of it will, except for the very deep bits, the deeper parts. And, and when I mean very deep, there's nothing here deeper than a metre. And that's fantastic for things like newts and frogs. Well, I was going um, to ask you next, do you get many newts here? Yeah, we do. Yeah, they are here. They wouldn't be as high now in number as, as the frogs, but they are around. And um, when the water disappears, the frogs and, and the newts will move into the deeper water. But generally, it's not deep enough to support fish, which would be a major predator of, yeah. you know... And I presume then in summertime too you'd have lots of dragonflies and damselflies here as well. Yeah, we do. We've got, we, we get the, the hawkers around, so like the common hawkers yeah. early in the year. We've had the darters, obviously, and like they'd be up foraging up the top of the hill. So you do see a lot of them around. Um, what we've also seen, which is unusual given it's a pond and it's not a stream habitat, we've had some banded demoiselles. Oh, lovely. They're beautiful. In foraging as well, which is unusual because they don't tend to like to be away from the moving water. Yeah. Um, but they're absolutely incredible looking animals. So. Now, ponds are very special to you because you study frogs and toads and utes and that. But you've got another string to your bow, so to speak, because you've become involved in a new project. Explain a little bit. Yeah, so we've been running for almost a year now. It's called the Stepping Stone Ponds Project. So this is a sister group to the Stepping Stone Forest Project, which was initiated by the Daughter Action Group. So the idea came up was when these pocket forests went into schools, the schools were like, okay, what do we do with it? And so it, Pocket Forest yeah. is an organisation? So, so, no, Pocket Forest is essentially a mini forest, so it's the size of a tennis court with thousands of trees planted into it, very dense, of all native species. So there's like shrub layers, hair layers, and then the big trees themselves. And it's it's all in to do with the methodology by a Japanese god called Miyawaki. Right. And he said, like, you can create these stepping stones within the environment of habitat so that the wildlife can actually use them while they're moving across the landscape. So you're creating a habitat where none existed before. Right. And it's not there to be to be all and end all of habitat. It's a stepping stone. It's a corridor. Ensure, yeah, it's a corridor. Mm-hmm. Right, yeah. It's a dispersal and connectivity corridor. So when the schools started to get this, they were like, well, this is incredible. What do we use it for? And they're like, living classrooms. Get the kids back out into nature on when we can have the good weather, have the kids outside, take their class in these areas. And the way they, they're designed by the stepping stone forest guys is that there tends to be like a little horseshoe shape in the middle and they'll put a willow arch in a living willow arch so it's part of the forest and the kids walk through the arch and then they're in this open space now surrounded by their own native woodland and it's incredible and like even with two years growth like some of these forests are incredible but then you know schools are brilliant and a lot of them will be going for for you know classifications with, with the green flags and they say well what else can we have that would be great for wildlife and naturally you're going to say give them a pond so yeah. you've now you've got a woodland 
pond ecotone so that's where two different habitats meet and then generally they're surrounded by grassland within the school or like a hard boundary with the school so we've got multiple habitats now all meeting each other um, and that's how the stepping stone ponds project came and then i was asked to come in and consult in the ponds so what and you're actually doing is you're going around schools now and you're putting in ponds for absolutely schools. yeah so we're putting ponds into schools where possible we're hooking it up to their downpipes so it, we're actually using the water collected rainwater on the roof collecting it into whether it's a water butt or it's directly connected to the pond and then we fill it using that water well that's so, great because yeah one of the questions i was going to ask you was what water do you use do you use tap water i would have thought we, no we, we do if there's no other alternative but we prefer to have the ponds yeah. with a sustainable source of rainwater and you know schools are not small buildings there's an awful lot of roof space so you can collect ridiculous amounts like thousands of litres over a wet weekend so you know we try to encourage the schools to when they're going to consider to have the pond to also consider some form of rain storage as well and the schools are brilliant because you know primary schools all the kids it's all back in the nature curriculum you know kids learn about it you have the council engineers come in and they explain to them this is why you guys collecting rainwater is so positive for us because it's alleviating pressure on the surface water system which means the pipes aren't full to capacity which means the local streams aren't flooding and bursting their banks which is relieving pressure on households so there's all these little knock-on indirect yeah, effects from just having, yeah for everybody mm-hmm. so um it's really positive even more positive is that we found a funder in aws which is amazon web services so their um, initiative is to fund and it's not just us they fund multiple organizations in the amazon in communities grant so they fund us now to build these ponds for schools at the moment it's restricted to where they have a footprint so it's Clondalkin and then Fingal, so Finglas and Blanchestown. But it's, it seems to be working well. They're very supportive of the project and they also really like the idea is that when we go into a school and we, we talk to the first obviously with the teachers and then obviously boards of management insurance companies and stuff, then we give it to the kids and we say, you designed a pond for us and then we'll come back and we'll make it or you can come out and help us while we're making it. So we've had like a pond in the shape of a jigsaw piece. We've had Another one in Blanchestown beside Menelian Park and Skull Oliveira, we've had this lovely, they had a couple of really big dead trees. So we used the pillars of the dead trees as a gate because obviously there's a protective fence around a lot of these ponds or most of the ponds. So it's this kind of almost semi-fantastical realm where the kids walk through the trees into this lovely pond and, and like we, we landscape it a bit but we try to keep it as wild as possible the fencing is chestnut fencing so there's big gaps the kids can see the pond from the outside of them so it all everything's you know to have a very low footprint low impact on the environment but so the kids can always see the water so you know there's never a desire to get over the fence to see yeah. it they can always see it no matter how small they are you know how so. long does it take a pond to settle in then before they can actually go out and enjoy it yeah so usually the ponds are, are cracking on from as soon as um, the water goes in like we've seen them colonised by aquatic beetles within a couple of hours that um, quick yeah, yeah they can be super super quick obviously it will depend on the weather so when we were building one in Skullwera there in Blanchestown we were doing that in the drought and the heat wave in June and the water hadn't even started to go in yet like we had literally just just um, started to fill the pond and we had birds in drinking of it you know we went back the next day to put them in the fencing and there was already like mosquito larvae and daphne and things that had obviously birds had carried eggs in on their feet or whatever overnight and things had hatched and started to develop like so you're looking at 24 hours that's incredible know? that's you know, because i was thinking it was going to be a lot longer than that what's the reaction then of the school children 
The kids love it. The kids love it because we give them a lot of ownership from the get-go. We ask them to help us design it. We go through the nature that we will hopefully attract. We get a lot of information because you talk to the kids and you go, where do you live and does anybody have X, Y and Z species nearby? And then you find out that someone has a pond over the back wall mm-hmm. or within 50 metres of the school. And like, okay, well, there's a very good chance that these are going to colonise the new pond. You know, So the kids get all excited about it. Ideally... The ponds are dug in the clay and we leave them to colonise naturally. But a lot of these school grounds in particular tend to have a lot of builder's rubble or it's unsuitable soil, so we have to use rubber liner. And then to offset that, we absolutely chock them full of native oxygenators and other uh, other plants, other native plants that will use up the nutrients quickly and kind of kickstart the pond into functioning straight away. So the kids are sitting there with their feet in the water while they're doing their maths class, all sorts of brilliant stuff. So the kids kids get so much out of it, it's brilliant. Yeah, yeah. What about secondary schools? I was thinking maybe for leaving cert biology for ecology it's an ideal habitat for them to study they don't have to go and get a bus and travel off to wherever to see a habitat they have one here in the school grounds yeah and that's it so we, we were over with um we, we were over in, in one of the educate togethers in in blanchestown and what we found was they specifically wanted the pond so that it would link in with their new horticultural module right for transition year students right and again once it's in then for fifth year like most of them do their, their ecology modules in fifth year yeah. but they can go out and they can do their quadrats in the non-horticultural area they can do their quadrats then in a bit of rough grass beside it but then they can also do like pond dipping the leaving cert is geared that once they're testing something that is they can collect quantifiable data and yeah. then analyse it then it's good to go you know and that's what the ecology modules are for and it's really good and even now junior cert science yeah, yeah, yeah. Has, has these kind of practical um, ecology elements to it now as well so it's given the schools something extra to give to their TY student which is great like the horticulture module is brilliant teach them how to grow their food you know Is there much maintenance then on a pond once it's been put in? It should be very low maintenance so what we tell the schools is leave them alone for at least two years let the oxygenators grow in let everything else establish. We try and harden off, like where we have the chance, we try and harden off all the plants. So, you know, we, we make sure that they're hardy because a lot of the plants that you can get, unfortunately, they're coming in from abroad and most of them would be growing in polytunnels. Yeah. And, you know yourself, aquatic plants are not cheap. So, like, we try and harden them off to make sure you treat it a bit like a tomato plant go, so yeah. that when you put them into the water, there's no sort of climate shock. So they're hardened off and they go in and then we just leave them to do their own thing. Then we tell the school, so anywhere between two to five years and then you divide your pond then into quarters and then you manage a quarter every year never ever manage the whole pond in one year because you'll shock the system and something's going to lose out and generally that's the wildlife in the system or the system will be out of balance so it can take you anywhere between six to ten years before you've managed your whole pond in its entirety from the day you've put it in so like it's a long term you know it shouldn't be management intensive it should be long term lots of little bits one of the drawbacks i might think of when i'm thinking of putting a pond into a school campus for instance is the children are free or on holidays in say june july and august they're the three months that the pond is most active and that you're going to see most things happening am i right or wrong with that Uh, no ponds change you know, as the wildlife changes as well, so like kids love to see frogs spawn. So if mm. a lot of these schools will be in well-established areas where there is frogs in people's gardens. So if they get the frog spawn in, the kids are happy then for spring. Summer then will bring in dragonflies. So if they're even missing from like with primary schools, July and August, they're not missing too much. The pond is being kept 
Well, um, the dragonflies, healthy, yeah, they run into yeah, oh, September, even October, October yeah, 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 for sure. And, and like and butterflies, of course. Yeah, and butterflies as well. So a lot of these guys in their marginal areas or the damp edges around the pond will encourage them to put down cuckoo flower and stuff like that. Yeah. You know, so they've got um, orange beautiful, and yeah, stuff. Yeah, yeah, beautiful stuff. The pond is looking after itself because it's going to be fed by rainwater that's been stored, or it's hooked directly to the downpipes. It's still Ireland. We still get rain in June, yeah. July, and August, so it keeps it topped up. So even but it's like, a great idea too that yeah. you're using the the natural rainwater rather than chlorinated. Yeah, water. for sure. Like it's only it's only been in one or two cases where we've had to actually have somebody connect us to the hydrant to fill it. Yeah, um, and that was more of a time issue rather than like for us. Yeah, rather than long, it was in the, in the long, long term. term, they could have just left it alone. It was ready to go and let it fill up over rain, you know. But mm-hmm. like we're just as impatient as the kids are. We want to see it done too. So you hope to get out now over the winter and do a number of other schools, is that right? Yeah. So we've done five. We're hoping to have seven done before the schools close for the Christmas break. And that would be really good for us then to go back to AWS and say, listen, this is our proof of concept. It works. There is a demand for this. There's a huge amount of learning for the kids, you know, learning opportunities and also, you know, to keep a lot of this nature learning on the school campus because, again, hiring coaches and stuff is expensive, yeah. you know, and it, it sucks out a lot of funding that could be yeah, used I've elsewhere. There. And you know yourself. But yeah, so the, so the plan is we'll finish the seven, we'll go back to AWS and we'll say, look, we've done this. Maybe we should with your obviously approval can we expand this into other parts of Dublin and Ireland as well because like schools are just crying out and in a lot of cases the students will want to dig it and create it themselves we just go and we, we supervise which is brilliant and then we we talk them through the process like making a pond isn't difficult it shouldn't be difficult and it's not mm. sometimes you just kind of need to do a bit of hand holding at the start so by the end of 2023 you have seven schools completed what's the plan for next year yeah well seven was brilliant given we only started it's more or less in June of this year. So if we had a full calendar year, I think we could easily get in two a month. I think we could be looking at 20, 24 next year. That's Absolutely. incredible, isn't it? Oh, it'd be wonderful. Like, And, and, and it, then hopefully in the years to come, maybe to expand it outside of Dublin, around the country. Yeah, for sure. And and again, like we don't have to be doing it. It's just to get everybody to get a hold of this idea that living classrooms are a fantastic way you know to educate kids about nature to get them out into it not just looking at it on screens or learning about it and then they can use it whether they're small four and five year old kids right up until they're leaving their students you know they're multifunctional we've seen all the all the, the science published now about how spending time in a mini woodland or near water is good for your mental health there's a huge amount of, of positive assets to having like um, stepping stone ponds or stepping stone forests on, on your school grounds if you have the, the space to do so Thank you very much indeed, Terry Flanagan and Rob Gandola. You can see some pictures on the website, rte.ie forward slash moon.